Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. In his prologue to Norms and Nobility, David Hicks writes, Education at every level reflects our primary assumptions about the nature of man. And for this reason, no education is innocent of an attitude toward man and his purposes. Hello and welcome to Ask Andrew. It is my privilege today to uh, address a question that I received from Tom. And for those of you who are interested in knowing this, I received this question on the Facebook Ask Andrew page so or Cersei page. So you can go in, if you didn't know this, you can go in and ask me questions on Facebook on the Cersei page. So here's the question from Tom. He says, what is the purpose of K-12 education? He goes on and comments that with the public school's super focus on getting kids a job or, as he quotes, college ready, I think we all need to be ready to give a thorough answer to this question. I agree with that. And then he asked me to break it down to the purpose of a K-12 education in a Christian setting and maybe a purpose in the secular setting. Now, this is the sort of question that I suppose is red meat to, to, to me, um, and I am the dog. I love this question. I'm kind of taken up with this question all the time, um, and I find it, well, I find it important. Because of words like what David Hicks said, whatever you're doing about education, it ha you have a theory about what a human being is. There is nothing more subtly dangerous than education, which is sad because it's also so hopeful. So let's think about this together. Here's another reason it's so important to me. Tony Jarvis, some of you might remember Tony Jarvis or Reverend. F. Washington Jarvis was the, I don't know, third, fourth, or fifth recipient of the Paideia Prize. And he gave a wonderful talk that I imagine you can still download it from our website. If not, David, get that, get that fixed. Um, and he told a story that I remember like this. He lived in a, it was the headmaster of, a, of Roxbury Latin School, a school founded in 1645 by John Eliot. And he'd been the headmaster that whole time. One day, he was boarding the subway or the, uh, I guess, the, the public transport train in Boston. I think it's a subway. And he saw an old student on the, on the stand. It was about 11 o'clock at night. So he went up to this former student from a graduate of Roxbury Latin. And he said, hey, how's it going? And the student said, it's good. And they chatted a bit. And, and eventually, this former student, who was, I think, about 30 years old, said, you know what, Tony? 
I attended Roxbury Latin School and I was at the top of my class and I graduated at the top of my class. And then I went to college. I went to Harvard. I graduated at the top of my class. Then I went to law school, Harvard Law School. I graduated at the top of my class. Now, I work for the top law firm here in Boston. And you know what, Tony? I don't have any idea why. I don't ever want to say that. I don't want my children ever to have to say that. I don't mind if jobs are difficult. I don't mind if they're in situations where, you know, not everything is perfectly arranged or whatever. I don't mind that. But I don't ever want my kids to say, I don't know why I lived the way I did. What is the purpose of K-12 education? Let's talk about context. Let's talk about the way K-12 education is done today. David Hicks, again, in Norms and Nobility in the prologue, wrote these words. The modern school has an established methodology of which it is more or less unconscious. Its method narrows the search for truth and the free exchange of ideas. Think about that. The method of modern education narrows the search for truth and it narrows the free range of ideas. How? By rejecting immaterial categories of thought and as well as the ancient notion of the mind's participation in the object of perception. Now that first part, rejecting immaterial categories of thought is kind of obvious. But what does he mean by the ancient notion of the mind's participation in the object of perception? Well, what he means is actually knowing something, having a relationship with it, participating in it. Something more than than arranging to have it dissected on a table in front of you, but actually encountering the reality, the essence of a thing. See, in the classical tradition and in the Christian tradition, there's always been this belief that the human being has the capacity to know the essence of things. This belief is no longer held to. And so he goes on. This method, the one that narrows the search for truth and the free exchange of ideas, this method stamps students for life, establishing a priori rules for perception, thought, and experience and inviting them to dismiss subconsciously the impalpable, the marvelous, the inexplicable. Essentially, he says, it is a method uneasy about life's monumental, problematic concerns. A method that puts these aside, distrusts them. And then he goes on to describe how it reduces everything to analysis to getting control over things. I think he's on to something incredibly profound. I think I think Stratford Caldicott is also onto something incredibly profound when he says on page 19 of his book, um, Beauty for Truth's Sake, the conditions of modern life militate against independent thought. Silence is rare. Entertainment is all pervasive. The pressure to consume and discard is 
almost irresistible. No wonder students come to college expecting nothing more than a set of paper qualifications that will enable them to earn a decent salary. The idea that they might listen, the idea that they might be there to grow as human beings, to be inducted into an ancient culture, to become somehow more than they are already is alien to them. And yet, may I suggest to you that, um, end quote, may I suggest to you, Andrew, that they have no greater desire than to grow as human beings, to find their place in culture, to find their place in the ancient stream of human history, and to become more than they are already? Caldecott says the problem is the great questions have not yet been woken in them. Gives us some clues, doesn't it? I recognize, I do, I recognize the importance of a job. Heck, I have one. But how much are you willing to risk to get your child into the best college? How much are you willing to risk to try to get your child into any college? How much are you willing to risk to try to secure a career for your child? Well, even if you're willing to risk a lot, and I, in a way, I hope you are, just not too much. But even if you're willing to risk a lot, is it even needed? To put a child into the, into the modern system of education, by which, again, I have to say this over and over again, I don't mean public schooling. I mean conventional schooling. To put a child into this system, I don't think it's good for that child's soul. What then is the purpose of education, K-12 to education? Is it just to get kids ready for college, whether they're going to go or not? Is it just to get them ready for a career? Or is there something bigger, something more than college and career? But maybe, maybe that something bigger isn't in conflict with college and career, but contains it. And that maybe if you deal with the bigger circle, you won't have any problem with the smaller circle. What if that's the case? What, is, what does Hicks tell us is the purpose of education? Well, let's turn to Norms, page 13. He says that our fascination with technical means, by the very nature of things, subverts the supreme task of education, which is what? The cultivation of the human spirit. To teach the young to know what is good. To serve the good above self. To reproduce it. And to recognize that in knowledge lies this responsibility. That's the, the supreme task of education, the cultivation of the human spirit. Now, look, the question is, is the cultivation of the human spirit going to help you get a job? Or is it going to hinder you from getting a job? Is the cultivation of the human spirit going to help you get into college or hinder you? Depends on the college, doesn't it? Depends on the job, doesn't it? But a well-cultivated human spirit is going to know what college to go to. 
Stratford Caldecott also had some things to say about the purpose of education in the book I mentioned earlier, Beauty for Truth's Sake. He says on page 53 that the assumption of the quadrivium, he's talking about specifically, but the, the seven liberal arts, the, the, the assumption of this system of education, listen to this, was that by learning to understand the harmonies of the cosmos, our minds would be raised toward God. In whom we could find the unity from which all these harmonies derive. Huh. Now, let's say he's wrong about the means. I think he's onto something, but let's say he's wrong about the means. Our minds can be raised toward God in education. Well, if that's the case, boy, would that seem to be a high priority. A couple pages later, he says that our present education <clears throat> tends to eliminate the contemplative or qualitative dimension of mathematics altogether, reducing everything to sheer quantity. But he says there's something symbolic about math, and this elimination of the symbolic dimension of mathematics is largely responsible for the divorce of science from religion and art from science. In other words, or by implication, the fragmentation of the mind is what our present education is doing. Not lifting our minds toward God, who can unite them, but in the very act of educating the child, the way we're educating children is fragmenting their minds. Bringing harmony to the mind, that would seem to be an important purpose of education, wouldn't it? Some of you know that Martin Cothran and I are good friends. One of his points that he likes to make about the, about the end of education is that it's for the transmission of culture. And I like that. Roger Scruton adds that what is a culture? It is, it is the things that we love so much we want to preserve them. Now, over a long period of time, you know, if your generation likes something a lot and wants to preserve it and pass it on to the next, that would be nice of them. But if the next generation doesn't value it as much, and then the third generation doesn't value it at all, it's not going to survive. But if you have something that generation after generation after generation loves so much they want to preserve it, you've got something value. You've got something so valuable, people will go to a museum and pay to see it. I'm not saying that's the best way to experience it. But I'm saying that's how much people value some things. That's how much culture is sometimes, that's how much a genuine culture is valued. And the best things, oh man, do we love the best things. And why do we? What if the best things, what if culture itself, the things that we love so much that we pass them on across the generations, what if those are treasures of wisdom? What if the reason we love them so much is because they speak to something deep, deep inside us, something we can't even understand? What if they're connecting to, in fact, something related to what David Hicks said about the human spirit? What if they are speaking to the very image of God within us? Because my contention would be that the end of education, the purpose of education, is to cultivate the divine image. And what I mean by that is many things, but what I want to focus on right now is that God himself made us like him in certain ways, 
And he gave us gifts for two reasons. One, so we could be like him, and two, so he could interact and have a relationship with us. So, for example, we have the ability to use language so that he can talk to us and we can listen. We have the ability to use mathematics. We have the ability to think over time. We have the ability to observe things in space. Why? Because God wants us to interact with all these things. And in fact, we are supposed to play a mediatorial role between the world and its God. We're supposed to be offering it up to God as a gift given to us that we're giving back to him. We can't do that if the gifts God has given us are not cultivated. And especially the gifts of perception and especially the gifts of transcendent perception or transcend or perception of the transcendence. Now, the most common um, transcendence are truth, goodness, and beauty. We have the capacity God-given and not necessarily well-cultivated, but we have the capacity to view reality, not selfishly, but for its truth value, for its goodness, and for its beauty. And if we train that capacity, we become more godlike. We better manifest the divine image. And that, to me, is a really good summary of what education should be working toward. I think we can divide the whole thing into three general columns. That, that there's a tradition, a culture, that we want to deeply remember. Education gives to a child the things that a culture loves and wants that child to have. And then helps that child deeply remember it. And when I say deeply remember, what I mean is, yes, of course, memorize a passage and have it in the mind. But contemplate it, dwell on it, interact with it, participate in it, so that it sinks from the mind into the heart and becomes part of you. Deeply remember the stories that make up your your history. The good and the bad, for goodness sake. Know it. Go beyond remembering with the mind to knowing it in the soul. The second thing is wisdom. I believe that, that, that education, the purpose of education is wisdom. And what is wisdom? Thomas Aquinas is a genius at concise statements. And one of my favorites is when he says that it is the, it is the part of the wise man to order and to judge. My favorite way, of, or my, my, another way of thinking about that is ordering means putting things in right relation with, with each other, relating them to each other. Ordering is an act of love. We think of either military formation or, or obsessive compulsive disorder formation, but ordering things rightly doesn't, isn't compulsive because that wouldn't be ordered rightly. The soul also has to be ordered. Ordering things rightly takes wisdom, and that takes practice. But also, not only ordering, but judging. Judging the value of things. Let's all pretend we don't have to do that all day long. That's what our culture is trying to do. Another way to to speak of judging, I would suggest, if ordering is also relating things rightly to each other, then then another way to speak of judging is, is interpreting things. Figuring out what they mean, right? Before you can judge it, you need to, to know what it is and what it means. And so... I would say relating things and interpreting is a, is a pretty good summary of, of what wisdom is and how we gain wisdom. So there's tradition and there's wisdom. And then the third column is the virtues. And there are virtues of truth perception that we need to cultivate in our children. 
there's an intuitive capacity to perceive truth. There's also a rational, sort of modern rational capacity. And we need to cultivate it. But the questioner, Tom asked specifically, what about, you know, what, what about Christian education? Much of what I've said could have been said by Plato, Aristotle, many people in many traditions, including secular traditions. I think secularists can talk about wisdom and virtue. Now, as a Christian, I think that wisdom and virtue is going to fall short, but you don't have to, you don't have to feel if you're not a Christian that we have nothing left to talk about. We have so much to teach each other still. We still live in the same world. We're both humans. But what about specifically Christian? What is the specifically Christian purpose of education? Let me propose to you that the wisdom of the world is never satisfactory or enough. And in fact, the Bible teaches that he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged by no man. And I think, as I understand that passage, what Paul is saying is the spiritual person, not the intellectual person, but the spiritual person has such pure eyes, sees things so correctly that he judges the value, the relationship, and the interpretation of everything in a right way. And then he, he proceeds through the book of 1 Corinthians to show this Corinthian church how they're not spiritual. But he brings them to the point where he can say to them, let me show you the more excellent way. Let me show you the spiritual way. Let me show you what the spiritual man looks like. And that's when we read about love. And I would also remind anybody listening that in 1 Timothy, Paul says specifically, the goal of our instruction is love. And I just don't see how in a Christian context, anything else can be the goal of education. And I'm not talking here about some sentimentalized Disney love. I'm talking about biblical love that involves crucifixion and death to self and, and the, the yearning and the desire and the effort and the will to see the other person reach his status of perfection, of, of fullness, of flourishing, of being like the tree beside the, living, beside the rivers of water, fully alive. That's, that's what love is. That's why it's patient and kind. That's why it's not offended. It's not easily provoked. But it takes a lifetime. We can't take the 12 years of a Christian kid's education and neglect that and then say, well, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to college. Because it's not going to happen. This, the, he who is spiritual judges all things. But he who is spiritual is the person who above all loves. He doesn't complain. He doesn't hold himself off. He doesn't hold himself aloof. Whatever happens, he's thankful. Because, because when you love somebody and something, you receive it. You open yourself to it, even though it hurts you. Isn't that motherhood? Isn't that parenting? So the goal of our instruction is love. But then what about college and career? All of that is noble, perhaps high-minded, theoretical, but what about college and career? 
my biggest concern about college and career is that we Christians have been in panic mode for a century or so. Or let me just say wider, in a wider sense, I think our, our economy runs the risk of being co so contracted into so few industries and so few um, businesses that if you don't play the game of the system, you might be excluded from employment. That might mean doctors having to abort babies. That might mean teachers having to abandon the gospel and, and treat children with contempt. It can mean any number of things. We're seeing, we're seeing it happen in many places, in many ways already. My biggest concern is that if we believe, if we don't have faith in that context, if we don't believe that our Lord will take care of us, then we will serve the devil. <laughs> we will serve forces that are destroying children, even as we speak right now. But see, here's the thing. I, I've, I've never had an easy career. I've I've never got rich. I've never really done anything with my working life business-wise but struggle. It's been hard. But here, but I've never ever hated my job. Do you know how many people I have talked to who have really well-paying job and great benefits compared to mine? who are stressed out and hate their jobs. I, I have no idea in any individual case why that is. But is that what you want for your kids? Centralization is horrible for an economy. What we need is lots and lots of farms and small businesses a wise and a virtuous person can build a small business in any context. And if he can't, put him on a farm where he will learn wisdom and virtue. Let me conclude with the obvious, the obvious words of our Lord. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. When you educate your children, do you believe that when you choose a school for your children? Do you choose a school that believes that? Or do you pressure a school to turn from that? I believe it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. May the Lord remember you in his kingdom. 